0: Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes is John Hopkins to talk about how he wrote, recorded, and produced the album Music for Psychedelic Therapy. John Hopkins is a producer and composer from London. John began playing the piano at an early age and by 12 years old had won a place to study in the Junior Department of the Royal College of Music. Alongside his fascination with classical music, he began to delve further into the world of synths and electronics, and by his late teens was developing his own brand of acid house and drum and bass-inspired beats. Following several years working as a session musician, John signed to record label Just Music in 1999, and two years later released his debut album Opalescent, followed by Contact Note in 2004. During this period, John also began performing as part of Imogen Heap's live band, alongside friend Leo Abrahams who introduced John's work to Brian Eno. He quickly became a regular collaborator of Brian's and began taking on more production-based roles working closely with artists including King Creosote and Coldplay, who he opened for on their 2008 World Tour. Continuing to develop the sound of his solo work with the introduction of more dance elements amongst other things, he released three further albums, 2009's Insides, 2013's Immunity and 2018's Singularity. These ambitious sets of spiritually minded techno and ambient tracks were among the decade's most acclaimed electronic albums, earning both Grammy and Mercury Prize nominations. Now a figurehead in the world of ambient dance and electronic music, to date, John's vast career has seen him release six solo albums, two collaboration albums, seven EPs and numerous soundtracks, all alongside working with some of the world's biggest artists. His latest album sees him fulfil his long-held ambition to create a record of immersive, beatless music, drawing on the epic beauty of nature. Today, I'm at Iguana Studios and I'm joined by John, and what better way to start our conversation than by hearing some of John's music. This is Winter Green from the Piano Versions EP. It is Wintergreen from the Piano Versions EP by John Hopkins, and I'm very pleased to say that John Hopkins is sat in front of me here at Iguana Studios. It's
1: great to see you, John. And you? How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, Um, yeah, it's it's lovely to be here and to be uh, going into some of these details that no one ever asks about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do ask
0: us. I mean, that's one of the reasons
1: why we were keen to get you because
0: when we ask Take Notes listeners who they want us to get on the show, Mm. your name has come up time and time again. Okay. And it's really interesting because I think today, though, it'll be a contrasting experience to one that they might have expected, Mm -hmm. because I think maybe they're responding to all the albums that you've put out and responding to the the kind of dance elements of those. But Mm. you're here to talk about music for Psychedelic Therapy, which is the new album, and it's a completely different thing, isn't it?
1: It is, yeah. It's a total departure. It doesn't have any beats of any kind, and it doesn't have any grid or any tempo, which I found amazingly liberating, and uh, I just felt like... I guess I never really thought about the amount of space that kick drums take up in the mix in the track and the need to adhere to some sort of rhythm to you know I suppose it's about making people dance and I've done that for several albums you know you can't keep doing the same thing so this is like to me it has all the same um, well many of the same characteristics as the other albums in terms of the emotional effect and the intensity but it just doesn't use the particular technique of drums that's how I see it like it's not like a relaxation album just because it doesn't have drums if you see what I mean, it just, uh, it's more like a yeah a, a crazy psychedelic journey of some yeah. kind
0: Yeah, it certainly is, and was the Piano Versions EP intended
1: as a transitional release then? In a Not way? at all actually, it was, um that definitely was like a lockdown thing, I remember just coming, I was just fiddling around the piano and, and playing the chords from Dawn Chorus and posted a little video of it on my Instagram just with my phone and um, I just thought actually that's actually quite nice I like to record that properly so I did really quite quickly it's just four covers and at this point I didn't even know I was about to write this album so yeah it was a nice simple release piano versions whereas this album is you know sonically really complicated yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah it was it was like a like a palette cleanser perhaps let's call it that between the two
0: albums yeah so we're going to look at three tracks from music for psychedelic therapy hmm. maybe we'll play the master of welcome um, to get The picture of what you're doing, and then we can start talking about it. Right. Just a Little Taste of Welcome by John Hopkins which is the opening track on music for psychedelic therapy and I guess before we start delving we need to know a bit more about the idea of the mm. album and and how the project started because it goes back a, a few years to an experience yeah. you had on a special
1: journey you went on. Yeah, that's right. So um, back in 2018 I was um, I released Singularity, the previous album um, May of that year and I'd been invited to go to... Live in a cave in Ecuador for a few days by a good friend called Eileen Hall, who actually ended up designing all the album artwork. So it's a nice kind of synergy there, and uh, another woman called Tamsin Cunningham, who's a brilliant artist as well. And um, yeah, was invited there to essentially experience this extraordinary, pristine environment underneath the Amazon. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it kind of—it's a good analogy for how this whole album is different from the others is that every other album was conceived in a room in London and written just just sitting there in a the studio for weeks months, years, whereas this one was born down there in the very end, and that's why it sounds so different so yeah in terms of actual recordings down there it wasn't about capturing music so much it was uh capturing the sounds of the place and one of the other people on the expedition was um a guy called Mendel Kalin who did all the field recordings. He had a a proper like Fostex thing to do really high resolution field recordings of everywhere we went to. So, um, I didn't actually have to do that, but I, my job really was just to absorb it and then to turn that into a piece of music later on. But one thing I did do is take a little Bose sound link speaker down there with me. And, um, I had a recording of a crystal bowl, like vibrating on, on an E and, um, put that on one side of this huge cavernous section of the cave and then mendel had his film recording equipment on the other side so what you're hearing at the start of the track the Taos caves track which is the second track is the actual like living space of that cave so that that was the starting point for the record it actually comes from the real physical place
0: yeah i mean it's a fascinating record and it, this journey was, is is fascinating in itself so the cave is how many meters below ground you have to climb down yes yeah, about it?
1: 60 meters so a lot yeah. of meters
0: yeah and so <laughs> and you kind of rappel or could go down on a rope or, that was that as a technical climbing yeah. word was it yeah, yeah, i don't know i, I don't know
1: I, i'm not sure <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't feel, store I, I it out i don't know where. Oh, I it was it was very impressive like should, yeah, I should should just let that go by. <laughs> i actually have no idea um i'm like entirely inexperienced with that sort of thing and it it was just as well I didn't think about that bit in advance. I knew that was going to happen because you got to get in there. But I didn't think about what it would be like. And it was like the most terrifying thing ever because it's just a rope that's like that thick. And um, you you go down it with like this thing that when you let go it will only go for like a foot or something. So you can't fall. You're 100% safe. So technically any fear is irrational. Like, you are safe. But there's a long section between top and bottom where you can't be heard at the top or at the bottom because there already people at the bottom you know so you just have to keep going it was a very good test of will because if you stop there and freak out nothing's going to happen you can freak out as long as you want but ultimately you just have to keep going yeah. so yeah you had to conquer those fears and that was just getting in and getting out was even harder because you had to get up again right using a similar technology but one that's attached to your feet so you're essentially doing squats in order to get up 60 meters which is obviously exhausting but, yeah, managed it and didn't think too much about that bit. Amazing.
0: I mean, because when we, even if we look at the title on, on the album, I don't think we get a sense of, of the caves, you know, because mm. it, it, everybody has their own idea of what a cave is, I suppose. And we bring that mm. along to our understanding of what's going on here. But this yeah. is kind of deep in the center of the earth in a way. Yeah, And it's genuinely. a cave system that is gigantic so you get there and then it opens Mm. up like a the size of a cathedral or, or maybe even greater
1: yeah that's right the the area where we were camping was cathedral like that's how we all thought of it but it goes on for miles and miles and miles deeper and deeper and deeper because it's been carved by a river and the river you hear that in the start of the second track and you also hear the water running into the like running from the forest floor down into the caves but yeah this cathedral like area where we stayed was um just incredibly peaceful and really warm, constantly, constant temperature of 21. So it's like perfect all the time. So really quite nourishing and calming space. Is there light in there? There is not. Right. <laughs> so you're in total darkness, but um there was a spot about 10 minutes walk away where there was a gap back to the forest floor and um it was like a shaft of light that would come in at like noon and there was, was daylight in that area generally and actual sun just for a little bit. So you go there for a bit every day and it's also extraordinary spot just seeing these rays of sun and when you stood underneath the hole and looked upwards you would see all the rain like water droplets coming towards you and it was as if you were traveling It's very sort of like a hyperspace visual in 2001 or something so yeah there were just these miracles everywhere these incredible things to look at yeah and how long did you spend there then so it was four days slept there three nights yeah
0: Amazing. And your friend Eileen, um, mm-hmm. and she has some other connections to the cave, I think. Her father That's right. explored it in the 60s or something.
1: Yeah. Her father, Stan Hall, who died, I think, 11 years ago, was famously, I think, I think the first European to explore it. It's been used by the local indigenous tribes for much longer. Um, but Stan Hall went there and took Neil Armstrong along for one of the visits. And famously, Neil Armstrong said it was the most alien place he'd ever been to. Right, <laughs> <laughs> and it is incredibly strange. I mean, the some of the rock formations and the stalactites and stalagmites, all that stuff, it's all absolutely. I've never seen anything like it. You know, highly unusual shapes everywhere. So Eileen thought she'd encourage you to
0: visit, mm. um, at to uh, potentially inspire you to write music in mm. response as a way of of bringing this experience to the wider world. Yes, and so you went there and field recordings were made Mm. you had your crystal bowl and you recorded that within the environment so this was in 2018 Mm. but then when you came out and started to think about how you were going to compose music to reflect this space
1: what did you do and what yeah so it was two years later actually um it was june of last year because yeah i was touring the previous record for so long Uh, it's a big process and then of course the pandemic kicked in and um I took like a couple of months off, maybe three months off or something. And I started like one morning I woke up and it was just like, there was just this presence in my brain. It's like, oh, you should do that Ecuador thing. because <laughs> so I, I was always going to do it. I just didn't really know when. And I, you know, part of the deal of me being taken on the expedition was to make this music. And I just, yeah, I I'd felt burnt out before the pandemic, but obviously the whole stress of that for everyone was extreme. So creativity wasn't present immediately, but when it came back, it came back in that way. It's like, I want to do something completely different. So I started by getting out Mendel's field recordings and um, just putting them on my headphones and then getting out that recording of the crystal ball through the speaker. And what I always do is, I mean, this isn't actually one of the pieces we're talking about, mm, I don't want to yeah. go into too much detail, but what I always do is to... Make sure i'm recording on the first take of whatever i'm doing because very often that will be the thing so with the backdrop of that single note that crystal bowl i'd made a um a, a patch like a chain of plugins on ableton and i had my piano going into that and i just started recording these really simple harmonious kind of notes that would work around that drone and that's what you hear at the start of track two Right. And uh, that turns into three tracks. Yes. uh, Well, it's, it's, that's actually arbitrary because I, I I, I mean, the whole album, I, in an ideal world, I would have had as two songs, like the first four and then the last five are essentially just two tracks. But, um, that would be commercially (laughs) not recommended. Yeah. So, and also it gives you, it gives me an opportunity to, it's kind of okay to break things up. I mean, a good example is the, the incredible floating points, Ferris Sanders' album. Yeah, I was talking to Sam about that, and you know it was the same situation. It's like essentially this is one piece of music. It's like a symphony, but you have to put track markers in. So with this, I started to embrace it and give them all names, even though I wouldn't have chosen to necessarily. Yeah. So yeah, the Ecuador piece is it's one piece, but it's in three chapters.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so that is led into by Welcome. Mm-hmm. So if you've created this Ecuador piece as mm-hmm. you describe it, and that's your first reflection on that experience in, in mm. the cave, but then you want to create other music to go with that. And how did you go about that? Because Welcome, which is the opening track of the mm. album, which we've just heard a snippet of, that leads us into the cave in a, in a way.
1: Yeah, so... um well, just to quickly jump through, after Tyros was written, um, Tyros Kho's piece was like 22 minutes, and I thought maybe I'd release that on its own as an EP or as a follow-up to the singing ball piece I'd done as like a meditation-y thing. But then I thought, this doesn't feel like a meditation piece. This feels like something more intense and more emotional, perhaps. And then the, um, the Sit Around the Fire appeared because I got, you know, East Forest got in touch and asked me to work on that. So we ended up with this Ram Dass talk to work over, and then when, I, when I'd finished that track, I was like, this sounds like the end of an album. This definitely has to close an album, which means that I must be writing an album, and I didn't know that at this point. So what happened next was an insane burst of creativity, which began, I think, in probably December of um, last year, and then didn't stop until May, and in that time I wrote Welcome and then all the other tracks that make up the second half. Right. And Welcome itself is... Um, it's got a lot of film recordings too, but it's all of English woodland. So I like this idea that you start in a place of familiarity that I'm, you know, very much the, the bird sounds and the nature sounds that I grew up hearing. And then it kind of it's as if you descend through the earth into the Amazon and you hear the, the much more exotic sounds, the much more kind of varied and musical sounds of the rainforest. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. And so with Welcome, where, where did that start then? So it's actually um
1: it's a really strange story. Um, so like generally things, it doesn't. it's very rare that I'd be like walking down the street and an idea hits me like a bolt of lightning. Like it's normally things happen when I'm recording or, you know, even in the caves, it's like I wasn't having ideas for the music. I was just experiencing it. And generally my subconscious is like a melting pot, like everyone's is and everything goes in and then you don't really choose what comes out. It's just absorbed and then it comes out. But with Welcome, I had this, This is literally just walking down the street in Hackney somewhere. Um, And it was like, it was a freezing cold winter's day and it was like full lockdown, probably January or February or something. So I was doing quite a lot of walking actually. And just I just had this sudden flash of knowledge that I had to start this piece, which was just like a single note that hit out of nowhere and then just rose rose and rose and rose and rose. And then like another one would appear behind it and did the same. And then another one here over there and each one would leave a kind of trail behind it and that's just never happens to me I never have these fully formed ideas just appear but that's just how it was so I went straight in and did that made that sound a reality and it's a Moog one which was the synth that I bought like a year before then and uh, yeah that was the starting point really. amazing are we able to hear that? absolutely yeah so what you're about to hear the stem of all these rising sounds is definitely it's been printed probably down from like 20 tracks because each one has its own tail and it was all just getting incredibly complicated but yeah I'll play
0: So that's using the Moog1,
1: mm. and in order to use it, how do you create that tail then? So I just pressed a note, and then I had the portamento setting to its slowest, so that the pitch would move incredibly slowly upwards. And then the trails are all... A lot of this is me guessing, because this was ages ago, and yeah. I, also I work in a sort of weird, feverish, trancey state, where I don't, I don't really think about what I'm using, but I think it's... Echo Boy probably, a always plug-in and then I would print the delay that that creates and then possibly stretch it out or resonate it, and that's what I can hear going on at the moment is it kind of. The idea is that each trail would do something different, so some of them get slowed down as they get higher and some of them are in reverb, some of them are in delays, some of them go into quite musical resonating sounds. And one of, the, one of them is ring modulated as well. I mean, the, the whole concept for this album was everything had to sound like it was alive mm. you know like it's this i've talked before about how i wanted it or how it feels to me like a series of places rather than a piece of music but like it's more than that it's more like yes they're places but they're alive they're living breathing places yeah so so every separate trail from this note would have to be different be treated in a different way and to just sort of form this tapestry of things which which work with each other Kind of like an environment. Yeah, but it's the same note each time. And yeah, then just treat it in a different way. Yeah, it's just an F in uh, a really simple oscillator as well. Just a really simple. Um, on the Mode one, you can initialize very easily, just by pressing these two buttons, which means you go down to whatever is on the panel, or just it just goes down to just one saw wave or something. So, you can very quickly build a sound from scratch and then do all the post processing on that. Yeah, and so you. Record and perform, in effect, live, mm-hmm.
0: just so that you can see what happens and where it takes you. So, so you had this idea, this revelation yeah, as yeah. you're walking along the road yeah. in Hackney, and then you go into your studio space, um, which is where
1: you live as well. Yeah, but, although it wasn't at this point. This was just before I moved, because I moved into my own studio, I think, in March. So this was maybe just as I was preparing to leave. So yeah, I was currently in the studio that I'd been in for 15 years. This album was done across both of them. Right. Right. So
0: you take yourself there and you just start recording yeah. and then you're exploring the ways of trying to capture this idea that you had while walking along the road. So you just continue
1: and continue. That's it. So the next step is always like what suggests itself, you know, And, and I thought this sound needs to be like the starting points feel like they should be accented in some way. So I recorded the piano, but not a piano note, but actually just the pressing of the pedal. How do you record the
0: pressing of a pedal?
1: Well, you have the mics deep in the piano anyway, mm. so they would capture that. And you just press it quite loudly, and this is what that sounds like. So that's one of them. And then, so yeah. if you play that, in fact, I'll show you. There's a a tingsha symbol as well, which sounds like this on its own. It's a little meditation symbol. You know those tiny ones that you use to like signify the end or beginning of meditation. I think. Yeah. That's that. Which has also got some processing on it and you yeah. can hear in the background. So that plus the piano hit plus the rising tones gives you this effect. There's three elements. Yeah. Designed to sound like one sound, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there'll be a different piano hit for each tone. So jumping ahead, you'd get like... Everything always has to be slightly different. You know, there's quite a lot of these... Symbols that happen later on as well.
0: And what's going on there? What are we hearing? Well, it
1: is just the same symbol, but just with lots of different mini delays. And so the symbol will be captured and then pitch shifted and then sent into various effects. That's what you're hearing now. Hmm. And you can hear this kind of resonate that's like a resonating looping delay Um.
0: it is fascinating because i've been listening to the album a lot to try and you know get into that world and (coughs) the question when i'm listening is what is this how is Mm. it created Mm. and it's fascinating to hear how it is because it's an immersive experience yeah it's also an explorative experience, really, because yeah, yeah. as you listen, you're kind of exploring these sounds as they are created in effect. yeah, no, and I don't know how
1: you arrive at the decision making process without getting lost well, in the creation. that's interesting. I mean, i I think it's the answer to that is by not thinking. it's all intuition. It's all just like I've learned as I've got older that there is a part of me, I don't know which part that just knows what the next sound should be by listening to the previous one and. I've learned just to listen to that and not to think about anything else. And so the fact that this track exists at all is quite weird because it's quite a str- I don't know, it's quite a strange sounding piece to me. Mm. <laughs> like, what they, what's this all about? I don't know, but it just felt like a very a very welcoming kind of opening to the record. And it has a certain intensity to it as well because there's quite a lot of bass and sub and, you know, it's quite... I guess it's like a, a bit of an invitation really for the listener to sort of detach from their expectations... Based yeah. on what I've written before as well,
0: yeah. Which is exactly what happens, I think, when you're listening to it. You no, know, uh, as you're listening to it, you know, you're trying to mentally unravel it in a way, mm-hmm. try and identify sounds. I don't mm-hmm. know whether that, well, that's an automatic reaction in us that we feel mm-hmm. with the need to identify a sound, but it's very hard to identify the sounds, which yeah. makes it intriguing and mystifying, but also absorbing. You no, know, it, and uh, it's fascinating listening to it. So, I mean, you, the piece itself ends up at six minutes long or, or so. Yeah, it is, yeah. So how do you know when you, you've
1: worked it out or, or worked through it enough? Well, I think it's the same thing. It's just like that voice in my head that just knows. It's just intuition. It's like listening to it from start to finish and then nothing occurs to you to change. And it's doing what it's supposed to do, like energetically, then it's ready. And this one was not a long one to make. And some of them were extremely complex in terms of sound design. This is not one of the most complex ones just looking at this session now it's like like i said a lot of the tracks are, are combinations of pre-bounce things at this point because after a while the laptop starts to run out of cpu Because i use a lot of different processing methods and so that happens quite quickly so me myself and my engineer um sharif will go through a process of simplifying and so you get what looks like a reasonably well organized session which yeah. is what we're looking at here because i mean you explained there were three elements mm. and then are there further elements oh here? yeah oh there's, or, I mean, load, there's yeah, loads loads yeah. of other stuff so that's just that sound and that sound is built up of three elements and then there's let's just look at the bass cuz it's right in front of me so again it's like it's not really like another bass i made as it kind of pitches up and down You can hear it go down there, mm, see, yeah, and then it comes up again. Now, unfortunately, I can't remember how I made that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just called mushroom bass. I quite often get into a situation where I sort of have to retrospectively analyse what, what I've done because, uh, yeah, it, it would be it will have been a lot of different processes. What I think it was was something with a lot of reverb on a single tone of some kind, with a lot of reverb on, and then the pitch dropped a lot and then it printed and then put into Ableton's own sampler which means you can pitch bend it really easily just going up and down between octaves on the low C. I I like the way it just kind of comes in and out of the track like it has a mind of its own yeah and all these kind of decisions like when it would go up and when it would go down there's no logic or there's nothing really behind it there's no plan it just was right <laughs> yeah. It might be interesting to play
0: the different elements as you can see them across the track and mm. and respond to them in explanation because it's fascinating to hear how these sounds are created. So, I mean, you can't
1: remember necessarily how you created that bass sound. I think it was something roughly like what I'm saying. I yeah. just, I don't remember the source sound. I mean, the thing is, it, mm. like with the amount of processing that I use on sounds like that, it almost doesn't matter what the original sound was. It could be... Sometimes I would use the, if you make a filter as resonant as possible, it generates a tone. Sometimes I use that as an instrument and then you can tune it and put it in Ableton's sampler and then do things like that with it. So, mm. But it could be from, sometimes you can just make an incredibly tight notch EQ on something and make it generate one note and then again record it in and put it in the sampler and um, that's it was probably, it's probably something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, so looking up, what have we got here? There's a vocal sample, and I don't know, well, I don't actually know where this comes from. You have a browser enabled to and you can just search for any word, and I think I typed in vocal something, Mm -hmm. and um, I got millions of things with that word in, and I picked one and put it in... um, this huge chain of effects, which you can feel a slash here. I meant, meant here, for me it's like feeling. <laughs> so I'm looking now at the, um, the plug-in chain for that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Let's see altiverb, which is an impulse response reverb, which um, essentially allows you to use the echo of a real dimensional space on any sound. I'm also using Ableton's own reverb here. And then that goes into Echo Boy, which is a delay. And all of, all these vocals are coming from different places. You can hear one is over in the left, one's in the middle, one's really far away, one's to the right. Which helps create a kind of spatial feel. Yeah, exactly. It's very kind of dimensional. And then, yeah, looking at this group here, there's, like, there's also master effects on this group, giving even more space. So really, it's just so that things seem to be coming from So you can really feel surrounded, you know, in a sort of 360 Mm. way. And you said there were field recordings
0: in this track as well. Yes,
1: let's look at those. So my really good friend Dan, who actually contributed sounds to this track under the name Seven Rays, he lives in a wood called Hazel Rowan Wood. So I have some recordings from there. I think you can hear um, footsteps and a leaf rustling. just walking along recording Mm. things it's nice to listen to it's lovely yeah yeah. and then um, what I'm going to bring in is um, a little more complex to explain so he he is also a bit of a synth genius Um, oh wait no this isn't synth stuff so this is um a video that he sent me on WhatsApp. This is the sound from a WhatsApp video sent into more large reverbs. Let's see which ones. This is a Waves Renaissance reverb. This is again to create a real living environment for this music to exist in. So if we put the bass back in there and some of the rising sounds, you can hear a bit of context.
0: Yeah. Because
1: when you listen to the track as a whole, Mm. it's all part of the same thing. Yeah, it's supposed to be like one organism or one environment, Mm. but some of these elements on their own are quite... Oh, you can hear a chif chaff in there, a sort of spring bird. Very strange, isn't it? Mm. I haven't ever listened to it... Um, in this way, like separate components at the end like this. So, yeah, so let's talk a bit more about Dan's contribution. So he has this synth called a FISMO, which was a really obscure synth that a company called Ensonique made in the nineties. And it was never even apparently the the internal architecture. It was never actually finished because it was really complicated. Transwave synthesis. That's something I don't know much about. But he got really into learning how to use this thing and generating these incredible sounds. I think it's this. It kind of generates notes at random like that. So he would just be playing a chord and this would all be happening just based on the the way he's programmed it. right? Quite unusual that a synth like this would have been made then and no one really knew what to make of it and it was never really a commercial success at all, but I think some synth obsessives still look for them and yeah. Yeah. So there's that and then there's the same kind of thing but played. Yeah, so this is the FISMO synth but played back through speakers that he's hung in the trees. And then he's standing in the middle and recording the results on his phone. And sending them to me. So you're hearing like synths processed through the woods, basically like, in a similar way that the just um, crystal bowl was processed by mm. the cave. I like this idea of like using natural spaces as processing. Yeah, and so did you ask Dan to do this for you, or? or- well, this was the strange bit. So as I told you about um, walking down the road and being struck by this bolt of lightning about this idea. It just so happened that he was making these sounds on his own because he was just driven by a strange curiosity to play with that synth at at that exact time. And we were chatting a lot and um, he was occasionally sending me these things just out of interest, not for inclusion on anything or not to suggest to collaborate or anything at all. He was just doing it. And um, he sent me that. He sent me this one. And it was in exactly the same key as my rising tone and i just dropped it in and like it was immediately that was that yeah (laughs) it was just so obviously supposed to be there but he had recorded the sound in the wood at this point no at this point this was just this what you're hearing now it was just this recording and then he did the wood stuff later on Mm. and then we started to generally have this idea of um including the energy of like his land in the music and the sounds, the natural sounds, and also just the feeling really, just so you're not in this hermetically sealed, you know, studio sound all the time. This is the same sound but put through um, a lot of other plugins. (laughs) I'm just looking at about 20 in a row here. Um, So the combination of all these different versions of the FISMO Leads to this tapestry of quite amazing generative sound. So it's a huge part of the track. Yeah, his his synth work on this. Um, if you take this out of solo mode, hear everything together, and then you take the Fizmo out, you can hear it's like the it's the musical core of the track. What he did. Really amazing. And then there's um, there's a sound called Deep Bird. Let's listen to that. Oh, that's Mo 1 and that's the filter. Yeah, I just really liked to have things in that frequency area. this point just to feel like it's this constant feeling of ascending and rising you know like that's clearly the behind the whole song yeah then it kind of starts coming down again yeah that kind of covers i think most things in there yeah i mean it there's such depth to it
0: i mean that's the interesting thing is that it, mm. there's so much going on yeah and yet it seems simple at the same time when you're just lying back listening to it
1: yes well i that's, i mean i never want people to feel like oh wow this is a bit complicated you know the idea is to make things which are enveloping and immersive and i love the fact that They may be made up of many, many elements, but actually sound like, I'm glad you, it was nice to hear you interpret it as one thing, because it is supposed to be like that. Mm. So sometimes one sound will be made up of 20 elements, but it will supposed to be sound like, you know, I I think I had an epiphany kind of um, reasonably early on in my, like, solo recording career, that you don't have to ask Everything from one sound. It's like, oh, why don't the trebles come from something else? Or why doesn't the bass come from something else? Or was not the attack come from something else? You see, you know, I used to just try and spend ages programming one sound that does everything. And of course, you don't need to do that. Um, you can make it sound like it's one sound, but actually, no one sound would ever do all of those things. So, like a good example would be that rising tone mm. uh, being doubled by the cymbal and the uh, piano pedal. So, you've got three things to make one thing you know, one thing for the treble, one thing for the attack and the bass, and then one thing for the actual core. Yeah, yeah. And that that principle kind of applies to most of the stuff on the tracks we're talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And of course, um, in a way, when we listen to things, you know, sounds are created by where we're listening and how we're listening, mm-hmm. and they mutate or, or adjust the sound that we're listening to yeah. a- accordingly, you know, in the same way that your friend Dan then played his his creations in a wood, and mm-hmm. they take on a different yeah. feel,
1: you know. And then what we did, and we'll come on to that in the next track, but um, what we did was to take that to the next level so I would send him stems for the track I was working on and he would then put them in his woodland surround rig and then record that and send it back so that I could have the listener move between the indoor studio feeling into the actual woods and then back again.
0: Mm. Absolutely fascinating, <laughs> amazing. Um, and on the album, welcome Crossfades into the Tales Caves track, Um, but we're going to kind of move beyond that. So we're going to kind of bypass the Tales Caves and and listen to Love flows over us in prismatic waves. Um, But before we go to that, Mm. um, let's have a reprise of the Master of Welcome, I think, and we'll take a quick break after that. is welcomed by john hopkins and we're going to take a quick break and we've got more from john on the way you may have heard us talk about tape it before and if you haven't then let me fill you in as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you tape it is an iphone recording app made by musicians for musicians Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape-It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favorite features within It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favor. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash Tape Notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash Tape Notes. You can download for free or use the promo code Tape Notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts and excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. The next track we're going to look at from Music for Psychedelic Therapy is Love Flows Over Us in Prismatic Waves. But before we start listening to that, um, I thought I'd ask you, John, a question that came from Joey Baxter via Instagram, which is what ambient
1: music inspires you the most? so there's an album called um, emerald by a guy called elve it's a very little known album but i think it's the most extraordinary piece it's i would say the biggest influence on why i found myself taking this direction it has this it's much more abstract as an album it's not so um clear on scales and diatonic um scales and notes like i am but it's um i think it feels to me like a really direct translation of nature into music. He uses a lot of field recordings as well. But every track on that is, again, like a place. And the way you move between them is so imperceptible and so gradual. That's something that I definitely did on this record. Mm. I don't think it would sound the same without that.
0: In terms of ambient music, I mean, you've worked with Brian Eno, but when you were developing your tastes in music, Mm. was was that something that
1: you were aware of in any way? What, ambient? Ambient music, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually... I don't think of this album as ambient myself, Mm. but I think of when I think of ambient, I think of Eno's specific, like you know, his description of ambient as something that is as ignorable as it is interesting, and uh, like part of a room in a way that you could have a scent or a light or something. And I love that idea, but I've never actually wanted to make that specifically. I want to make things that that draw you in and immerse you and that reward you know deep listening. And I think I mean his inspiration to me was endless in just encouraging playful exploration of sounds and remembering that music's supposed to be enjoyable and not getting really caught up in tiny tiny details and of course there are detailed elements many detailed elements to what i do but they're not joyless sort of fiddling around anymore that's why the other thing about the removal of beats was that so much of that stuff is drum based you know the most precise editing and programming and complex stuff um for me was was drum bass so freeing up all that energy to work on on long form sounds and evolve and slow evolving things was really really amazing
0: yeah fantastic well we're going to listen to love flows over us in prismatic waves now i um, such a brilliant title <laughs> um and uh, so if you were able to play the master uh, that would be great sure Love Flows Over Us in Prismatic Waves. John Hopkins from the album Music for Psychedelic Therapy. And it's interesting in the world of podcasts, John, where mm. you play snippets of sound. Mm. And, you know, this music isn't designed to be heard in snippets of sound um, no. because it's very immersive and it's very deep. And in a way, with this album in particular, you want to listen to it in one sitting, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. it's kind of either one or two, really, because mm. there is one gap in the middle, but everything else is completely interleaved and... uh Yeah, so that's what I would encourage people to do. Yeah, but then that's the great thing. I think
0: that it is the kind of record that you need to listen to in one sitting in whatever comfortable setting you have, Mm. whatever your most comfortable setting is. But at the same time, I think the great thing for take Notes is that we get to explore it Mm -hmm. at the same time. And it's fascinating already to hear how you're creating um, these songs. Mm. What was the inspiration
1: for Love Flows? Were you walking down the road again? Now, this was a little sadder, I think. Um, so I'd been working on um, various other projects at the same time. So I've been working on Coldplay stuff as well, which is something I've been doing for 14 years now. And um, I've been making sounds for them and on stuff that hasn't been released actually yet. But And I was also working on um, a project called Wave Paths, which is actually an app designed for psychedelic therapy. Therapists are able to choose with a sort of generative AI engine the kind of music that their patient needs for where they're going in their journey and um so i was playing around with sounds for that and at the same time working in the pop world a bit so you know it's kind of in between these two areas and um one of the sounds i was making for wave had a kind of offshoot sound that i just started playing with out of instinct and it turned out to be the starting point for this track which i will now find So that was once a piano, <laughs> <laughs> as, are, as are many of these sounds. So this is a good example of um, the thing I was just talking about with Welcome, where you have many elements that make up what's supposed to be one sound. So this is the low element and then there's a high element. Which on its own sounds like that. Um, So if I skip forward to where that's louder, you can hear there's this high element in there. And then there was another fluttery sound, which And to give it some life in the top end. Mm. So that on its own, sorry, sounds like... And it's moving around a lot, isn't it? It moves around a lot, Mm. yeah. And then there was its accompanying sound, which was... Made on Ableton's vocoder originally. I think it's probably a vocoding of this ring mod sound. There's a lot of notes in there. actually. Yeah. Kind of. I like this idea of using like quite abstract harmonics within these sounds. So if you put that with the high and the low? They sound like they live together. that like they are mm. part of the same organism. And w- when you're creating them. You disappear off
0: trying to seek that high sound and then come back and then try it out with the deep sound.
1: Yeah, well, I think maybe one of the most common methods I use is to take something that's there and then process it into the next thing. So it's possible that some of these sounds are Mm. versions of the original sound that have just been taken really far away from it. Because I've found that, like I say, it almost doesn't matter what the source is if you're using this amount of processing. Yeah. So then there's another sound called Water Layers, which is really nice on its own, actually. So because I found that this original sound, like it's very aquatic, and it has quite a lot of these unusual harmonics in it. So this watery layer is very celestial. And it kind of was supposed to take it just to make sure that there was enough clear chordal information for the listener so that you could you could feel the melody as it slowly unfolds. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you listen to these things on their own and I just think that it make quite a nice track. Just this would be a nice ambient track, just this stem yeah. on its own. Well this is what I
0: find doing tape notes, I, mm. I don't understand how musicians don't get just lost in, in each little tiny thing that they create because yeah. when they're isolated in this way as we mm. do with tape notes, I could quite happily listen to these sounds for quite a long time.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't done it since finishing so quite, I'm quite interested in I, think I would often begin a new piece by grabbing this sound and dropping it an octave and reversing it and then, you know that would easily become a starting point for something else. Mm. There's another sound here called Grounded and let's see what that is. Okay, so there really are a lot of layers to this. This is all of them together. This is some more top, more high-frequency information here. This sound was created by... Um, I was using this plug-in that it's really really cheap and doesn't really work properly and starts occasionally, that about once every two weeks, just starts generating random harmonics in these little like this sounds like a really complex um, series of notes but actually it was a something that was wrong in the plugin which was a pitch shifting plugin and stumbled across this sound, as I do many, by just playing with it and then the next day when I came back and listened again it had completely changed because the plugin was working correctly that day so I was like, I've lost it. I was <laughs> devastated. And then so I, this sound you're hearing now was lost. And then about two weeks later, it started doing it again. So I, that time I printed it straight away. Right. And now it's in there. It's a really important sort of sparkle on top of everything else. And I've, had a, I've talked about this before in interviews, but I have a sort of long-term obsession with the way sun lands on water and the way that light reflects off all the movement within the water, and this is for me a sort of attempt to create that in sound. Mm. And then there's one important element which I haven't mentioned yet, it's another Moog One sound, which I'll play on its own, which is sort of the core melodic content for this section that sits above everything else, so I liked the idea that it would just be at random. There's no grid, so it started off as um, this was in time with something, and then I just put um, the delay time on a fader and on a controller so that I could make it late or early based on where this fader was, and then just kind of did that live at the same time as um, listening back to everything else. So if we just put a few of these things back in So you can see that they're unified, that they're kind of they're meant to live together. And then we come to more of this outdoor stuff um, that Dan recorded, so let's listen to some of that on its own. These are the same stems, um, but played through the speakers in the trees. And I seem to have put some sort of additional reverb on top of that.
0: And so that bird song is from Dan's... Yeah. Nice.
1: Yeah, sounds lovely. What kind of speakers are these? He actually has... um, He's set up an Instagram now as Seven Rays, and he's got some great videos of all this stuff, actually, which I was going to share after the album is out. Yeah. But I think it's a JBL, like, stereos. that literally just hang on branches. So yeah, this is it without the reverb. Is literally using the trees as processing. And I had some, I had a recording of some wind chimes, and um, did a lot of stuff with them. I think he played those through the trees as well. Oh, There's one sound I really want to talk about that's from the start, which I forgot. Can I just jump back to that? Yeah, do. It's pretty cool. Um, So the beginning of the track is this, which was also once a piano. So one evening i was working quite late in the evening at the studio and I, I had a beer and sometimes drink beer like you can usually like squeeze another three hours of good creative work <laughs> if you add alcohol <laughs> later on in the day and um i'd like flicked the glass at a certain point just because i don't know i don't remember why now and it happened to be on on this note Which is an A, which sits perfectly over my main sound here. Then I tuned it to different notes around, but basically the the exact amount of beer that I had drunk led to it being the right note at the right time. <laughs> right, um, and, I'm always, and that was completely random. Yeah, yeah. Or was it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always. I mean, these synchronicities happen so often that I've stopped thinking of them as random, but it became a really nice sound in its own right. And the noise that you can hear around that, so it sounds like a little bell, Mm. but really it's this glass. So the noise around it is actually this laptop fan, but the whole thing's been put through this very tight filter, which has since been bounced into the session, so I can't show anyone that. Mm. But, But then you can hear it's been tuned down the note here so that it follows the chord sequence. Oh, it's also been reversed, I think, at this point. And that sits over most of the track. It became a a really nice sound to play with And oh yeah, so you were asking a little bit about the genesis of it, like mm. the inspiration stuff. So this this was just after I'd been through some like in my personal life some like serious heartbreak and I was very yeah, I was very much grieving for losing someone and um so there was a huge amount of love that went into this and there's also a kind of sadness and a kind of processing of grief through it and this same everything i'm saying about this track also applies to the next one because they are you know, they're absolutely supposed to be together and the next one in particular kind of goes deeper into that to the sadness of it all i think yeah but yeah i think those are all the kind of main sounds mm. from this one and
0: so uh, the title, you know, love flows over us in prismatic
1: waves. That, that, that relates to a few things. Then it would say. Well, the titles on this record, I don't personally um, like saying them out loud because they're so. They're, they're not for me. They're not even titles. They are like descriptions. Mm. Um, maybe that's what a title is. I don't know. But normally, I've written a track, and I've had to work for quite a while to title it, and it's not my strong point. But with this one. Because they're places or their their feelings, their energetic feelings of some kind, and obviously there there were psychedelic journeys involved in getting this right, and that is what I witnessed. It's the best way I could describe it. That's that was the feeling that I felt whilst listening back to this, and there was a while where I was thinking, oh, "Do I want to go with these kind of titles?" And I just like, who cares? Yeah. You know, this is what they, that's what it is. So if he's going to make an album with total honesty, then you've got to have to be prepared to put up with people thinking the names are funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, so, I love the titles. I think the I mean, titles I love are very I evocative love, and yeah, interesting.
1: I, I'm into them. I just think it's like there's a vulnerability to being that honest, I suppose, but then the whole album is um, about that. So mm-hmm. that's that, really. Yeah. Well, I, you know, the reviews have been pretty – they've been glowing. Well, and we haven't had very many so far, so it's it's always a nerve-wracking place. I mean, I, I feel less, less worried with this one because – This is my favorite thing I've done by such a long way. There was never a point where I felt like this about an album. So if people don't like it, then it's kind of more all right than it's ever been. You know, like everyone has an ego and artists have outrageous egos. So it's never easy to think that you might not be appreciated for what you're doing. But this is so pure. It's so totally Mm. honest that it's almost like if someone marks it out of 10, (laughs) well, you're marking me out of 10. But you don't have to give me dinner. (laughs) It's fine. I will accept whatever, really. It's the risk that you take, I think. Mm. But also, I think there's
0: a lot of listener or personal engagement or reaction to this creation. If Mm. if somebody gives it a low mark because they don't get it, then that's because they don't get it. It's not necessarily a reflection on, on the work.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, we always go through that. It just, it feels really different when you You know, with previous albums, there's definitely been like to take Singularity, for example. There was definitely a conscious attempt to make something that would be, for example, like a big festival track, a big radio track or whatever, just to carry the thing or launch the thing or whatever. And then there was definitely some conscious thought that went into that, just getting it right and getting it kind of palatable and accessible. Whereas with this one, I didn't think about any of that stuff. Mm. And it was why it's so much better, I think, in my opinion. But there's just a total... A total lack of thought given to that stuff, which is awful for a record label. <laughs> they've, they've been amazing, I should say. But yeah, I mean, this is kind of devoid of singles or radio playable things or playlistable things or any of that stuff. So we're kind of hoping that people just are open to exploring. And it might take some time. It, may, it might never happen, but it might be that it's a slow build over a while. Mm. It's not exactly the most immediate thing. But I think if you kind of play it at volume and listen properly, then, you know, if this is your kind of thing, then hopefully it'll be useful.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Without question. We are going to look at the next track in just a moment. Deep in Mm. the Glowing Heart is the next one on the record. And we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with that in just a moment. The next track we're going to look at from Music for Psychedelic Therapy is Deep in the Glowing Heart. But before we hear the mastered version, there are a couple of questions for you, John, that have come through our listeners. One from Cal Alston, who's got a kind of open question. How on earth do you create that deep, stunning piano sound?
1: Yeah, it's not actually very much about equipment. It's um, more where the microphones go. So I have these two Russian microphones called Octava, which hang from the ceiling deep down into the actual body of the piano. And they're really quite close to the, like kind of as close as you can get to the strings and hammers and then it goes into a um what's it called api preamp that's quite a new thing actually and my engineer sharif is the expert on this stuff but i take recommendations on that and then in terms of uh, what goes on in ableton it's just different eqs um the waves puig tech to add warmth but i mean the instrument is also just a lovely piano i mean i've had it since 1988 when i was eight years old wow and um It's a Yamaha Upright, nothing special really, but when I played it, and I remember like testing some of them out in the piano shop, and that was the one where you could play just with an incredible sensitivity, uh, with the soft pedal down particularly, which is how I play almost all the time. So I play really quietly and then record at quite a high volume, so you get yeah that in combination with having the mics hanging right down inside creates that kind of warmth.
0: Mm. And so, I mean, piano is your... Your instrument, I mean, that was the instrument you, mm. you learned when you were young. How how young were you when you first started playing piano?
1: About four or right. something. Um, it was self-taught until I was about seven. I started having, my parents wanted me to have lessons, which they were right to, try mm. to do, but I resisted. I <laughs> didn't really want to. But I taught myself just by playing around and you play by ear and, and had perfect pitch and stuff like that. So it, it just seemed to be wired in me for some reason. Mm. And then you, you studied at the Royal College of Music. Yeah, so on Saturdays they have a junior department where I went from I think twelve till yeah till seventeen at the end of school,
0: mm. and that's yeah. a that's a big commitment as a, a young person, you know, to have an extra day where you have to go off and do more.
1: Yes, except that it was more fun than school, so I didn't enjoy school, but I did enjoy music college because made good friends there, and it was there was a recording studio as well, which even though I only got one hour in there a week. They had a Yamaha SY99, which was, is an amazing synth. So I got to learn about FM synthesis and the basics of sequencing in there, plus have an incredible classical piano teacher who's called Emily Jeffrey, and she was only about 25, I think, when I was 14, 15. She really inspired me to get very serious about learning the piano, so that's been a great help over the years. Mm.
0: And do you think um, that early exposition to the world... Of possibility with the piano helped shape your direction because it seems to me that you, know, you weren't just learning you know, the great works mm. you were learning about the instrument and the possibilities of the instrument and that's something
1: that you continue to yeah. use today yeah I mean I think and I've talked about this in other interviews but it's worth repeating I think because it's so interesting one of my first memories of of being in contact with the piano was probably yeah maybe under age four I had a friend who had one in his house and I remember just pressing a note on it and listening to the way that the sound evolved as it died away and it obviously I didn't know these words for it back then but you get these different harmonics that come in and out when you just leave a note and if you press the pedal as well it makes everything like it kind of creates a reverb within the piano so if you knock on the wood you hear a sort of echoing so straight away I was interested in the mechanics of it or just the ways you could get these unusual sounds out of it and I often use even now the you know the tail ends of notes to create sounds so there's like so many things that already that we've talked about that started as piano that don't sound like piano there's just so many ways you can get sounds out of an instrument but you know if it had been the violin I'd learned I would have been doing the same with that because it's almost like it doesn't matter what the source is mm. you know except I'm going to contradict myself immediately because there's a certain harmonic richness to the piano that you get that I obviously fell in love with so
0: yeah yeah, fascinating. I bet mean, it seems as if, you know, that was almost inside you, you know, that fascination mm. that you just, you know, you you learned mm. about it because of
1: that early encounter and realized, yeah. oh, I, I,
0: this is really interesting.
1: Yeah, something in my brain was just like totally switched on by that. And it, it made me to a much calmer child because I found the thing that my brain was looking for, I think, mm, allegedly. Yeah, <laughs> right. So there was a, a sigh of relief from your parents. I think so. Yeah, that's how the you know how this the family story goes. And it's like just constantly needing needing to be entertained and requiring an audience until I found music, and then I was just like, oh, okay, that's where the energy goes. Yeah,
0: amazing, and and it's great. I mean, already we've heard how how you're exploring that now in your approach to recording. So. Mm. Deep in the Glowing Heart is the next track that we're going to look at. Um, As you were just explaining before, Love Flows Over Us in Prismatic Waves is a partner to Deep in the Glowing Heart, the Mm. two are intertwined. So did that happen musically as well? I mean, because in some ways, I mean, the way you've described, you know, from December through till May Mm. 2020 into 2021, it felt as if you were in a trance creating Mm. this music. But at the same time, as you've already explained as well, you were working on other things too. So... um, it wasn't as if you spent six months locked in this world, or or did you? No. Well,
1: there were there were the other projects, um, like the Coldplay stuff would be just the odd burst here or there. So maybe like there'd be four days in a session or something. You no, know, it was such intense lockdown times that it was hard to test every single day, and um, you know, the group was really small, and so I was only out of out of the writing process probably for a maximum of two and a half weeks in those six months and so the rest of it was probably pretty much focused right amazing so yeah this these were not two tracks in the same way as the tiles caves were not three this was one long track one 15 minute track originally and i just cut it in half for well it's not actually cut in half it's just there's a track marker in the middle and it, it is actually because I, I do like the fact that there's two separate names here as well because you know the first one is very much, that that word prismatic kind of implies that crystalline kind of sound that's there, and there's obviously a lot of love. But this next one is like going deep into that, like deep into the kind of, more into the sadness or the intensity that I was feeling. So the way they blend is um, like picking up where we left off with some of these chime sounds, some of these wind chimes. And yeah, so this is from the end of the previous track. So I had this idea, like, there would be this pause, and you've got the wind chimes there, and you've got the, everything playing through the, the speakers in the trees, and the idea would be that the chordal section from the previous track would kind of reprise, but with more intensity. And then there's this um, Aboriginal, don't think it's, I don't, I'm definitely not an expert in this, but I know the name is a Turn Dun, T U R N D U N, and it's a kind of thing that you like swing like this and it generates a vibrating sound. And I've been obsessed with that since seeing it in the film Crocodile Dundee 2. Because <laughs> Mick, Mick Dundee uses one. And when I get obsessed with the sound, I'm always, a part of my brain is always trying to make that sound. And um, it appears in this section now. I'll show you. So you have a turn on? No, no, no. Okay. This is done with the Moog one as well. Right. Okay. So here you you hear like you know a more intense revival of that previous section, but I'll solo this sound that's kind of sounds like a turn on to me. It's like someone's you know yeah swinging something around. Gets faster to kind of add to the intensity. Of this. Mm. And if you put some of the melodic content back in, got a very, very mangled piano sound there. So the turned on esque sound is used to bring drive and intensity. You've also got a sound called Piano Pads, which is... Yeah, this is just piano through a huge reverb, I think. Probably a granular delay as well. So that brings some lower end stuff in. Because the first track has no bass of any kind, it doesn't. the lowest note is, I think, like the F underneath middle C, so not very low. Whereas this one has a lot of bass. A big Moog one bass there, and then you got the, got that doing its thing, and then there's the higher end stuff for a lot of these very sparkly sounds. So this, what you're hearing now, is a combination. This is actually the wind chimes, but like processed for days, <laughs> right? <laughs> So the idea is to create areas of interest in different frequency groups. So there's quite a lot of high-end stuff. Then there's some very deep bass. And then two of the leading sounds, other than these ones, is this. I love this sound. This is um, the Moog one, but doing a, quite a fast arpeggio. This is what provides a lot of the body in this track. So it's an arpeggiator, which means you, you hold a chord and then the, the synth just will play all those notes, never at the same time, but just go up and down in an order that you choose. But I had a random LFO controlling the tempo, which means that the arpeggio speeds up and slows down at random. So I'm just constantly making sure that nothing's ever a, a rhythm or nothing's ever regular. Yeah, that was a sort of key feature of this album for me.
0: Yeah, because you're trying
1: to get away from the grid or any yeah. kind of grid. It's yeah, because like- a new kind of rhythm emerges. You know, this doesn't sound a rhythmic to me, but it isn't also any kind of rhythm. been printed at this point but it's going through a complex chain of different effects and it's being separated out into different components and then re-synthesized and it it, it kind of evolves over the period of uh, the song yeah. so it gets more intense and louder so if you put the bass on top of that start to see how it all comes together.
0: And your knowledge of frequencies and your interest in frequencies, because mm. clearly you're thinking about the frequencies within a song a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, where, where did that come from, or well, your understanding of it? Was that something that you learnt through your music lessons, or something that you learnt more You know, in, since you've become a a musician or the kind of musician you are.
1: Well, it's not technical knowledge, that's the thing. So I don't... You Basically, you have a... The human ear is able to listen to everything from 30 hertz to something like 20,000 with some sense of what's going on above then, um, above there. But I just think of that range of frequencies as a space. That is the space which you've got to play with. So I couldn't tell you what those frequencies are that you're hearing, but I just use the word really... mean the area of pitch that things are at so it's a useful way to think about building a track because you need if you want to have a full picture of sound like this one you need certain things that are very low you just need something in each area and also sometimes you need to have nothing in certain areas in order for it to for there to be contrast when you bring something in there's a lot of detail in the high end on this track but there's also a huge amount of bass, but bass tends not to be detailed in the way that high-end does, because bass, you want to be like supportive and almost drone-like on, on a track like this. So really it's just uh, knowledge through screwing around for all these years. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually, I never had any music, um, music tech lessons of any mm. kind. It's always just been self-taught, you know, these programs are pretty logical. And if you spend years using them, you kind of realise, you know, you can make any sound that you can dream of.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting the way you explore it. And it's clearly such a vital part of it because it has a physical mm. um, effect on the listener too. Yeah. Mean, you know Those bass parts physically affect you when you're listening to them.
1: Yeah, a friend I was talking to last night is a musician as well, a guy called Corey Allen. I was doing his podcast actually and he was explaining this nice concept that music is the only art form that literally touches you. So sound waves vibrations literally literally touch the hairs inside your eardrum that allow you to encode or decode that information into music so technically your brain creates the music from the information that is in the vibration and um it has an effect on the physiology you know it just does whether it's i mean if you've ever been to like a sound bath or something like that you will find that there's a bodily effect just, and, and the, the practitioners who are conducting those have expertise that I don't have in like certain frequencies will literally vibrate a certain part of your body. Um, a place called the Integratron, which is out near Joshua Tree, they do this all the time. It's like a geodesic dome and everyone lies down in a circle and someone plays these crystal bowls, um, the same kind of instrument as I had in the caves, And um, the way that room is designed allows... It seems to have been tuned perfectly so that you feel each note that she plays in a different part of the body, and it like actually is vibrating different parts of the body, which is really incredible. Um, but that's not what I'm doing here. No, yeah, but, <laughs> but it is something. It's a, it's something I'm fascinated by. I like the idea that sound can actually work on you physically, um, and in a way, this is doing the same thing. In that, if it's changing your brain state or if it's affecting your mood, then your mood is represented in your physiology. You know, the, the profile of hormones you have in you at any time, whether it's stress ones or relaxation ones, to put it simply, can be affected by music. So it's, yeah. it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that you went on psychedelic journeys for this record, and obviously the title is Music for Psychedelic Therapy. <laughs> mm. you no, know, So you are thinking both in terms of the effect that the music can have on on people, mm. but you also explored the music as you were creating it mm. on these journeys? Yeah, I
1: mean, so I think the, the title came to me after one of these journeys and I, I was almost reluctant because it's like, you call an album that, you invite a very specific, it's almost quite prescriptive, but it can really like that. What it really is for me, is like a bit of an homage to music for airports and music for films. I really like the, the idea of music for, as a start of a title, and i also feel like there's a lack of conversation around the musical element of psychedelic therapy you know which is something that's emerging across the world and you can read countless articles about the efficacy of things like ketamine and psilocybin for treating severe mental illness or eventually for the betterment of well people as they call it but people aren't writing about the music it's not really you know it someone will make a playlist and they'll put it on and that'll be that or you bring your own music or whatever but I think it's um there's a whole world of music to be written for this and it's incredibly important in your journey that you have something that is supportive and allows you to feel safe and guides you you know so it is for that but at the same time it is also just my next album which is for listening <laughs> right in normal consciousness so it's really like it has dual a dual purpose I would say yeah
0: yeah it's interesting in some of the coverage of this record and indeed where you've performed it so far mm. have been in both in places and the coverage has been in places of that are exploring and talking and describing and learning Mm. about psychedelic journeys, Mm. psychedelic treatments, psychedelic therapies. Yes. And as you're saying, there's a lot of people
1: discussing this around the world. Mm. Yeah, it's an exciting time for that world. And over the course of the last four or five years, I became friends with some of the people who were conducting those trials, some of the doctors and therapists and it was amazing to help advise them on the playlist that they were using, but that obviously inspired me to make my own stuff because what there is 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 a lack of longer form music like this. Is There's some, but there's not very much that's been written with perhaps coming from sort of an informed place about what those experiences are like. So whilst I'm not advocating anyone tries anything, it's just, I'm just talking about what I've chosen to do with my own consciousness over the years and it came from an interest in meditation early on and I think there are some people who just never have any desire or need to alter consciousness, but i'm someone who's always been curious about that, and the results in on creativity. this album just wouldn't exist, and neither would really any of the other ones if i hadn't ha, if i hadn't had those cut that kind of curiosity you know kind of it just opens up whole new realms of reality, and there's so much beauty and information and and magic in there um particularly when you kind of you link that with the natural world and trying to translate the feelings and um energies of the natural world into something you can listen to
0: yeah yeah we had a question that kind of related you know ollie from instagram got in touch to say how has your experience with psychedelics shaped the way you approach production i mean
1: yeah i mean i think it's definitely it's been like a nuclear option in, in some ways um for all areas of life it's not something you do casually or often um, it certainly requires a lot of education and knowledge about what totages might work or but i mean i'd already been quite deep into meditation and transcendental meditation in particular i found opened my i'd say my kind of faith in the synchronicities that happen and the, the fact that music seems to want to exist music seems to like quite random things will just suddenly fit together like for example Dan making that sound on the same week that I made that rising sound for Welcome is a good example of just things that just happen to be floating around at the same time and then so to answer that question I think in the same way as TM but in a like far far more pronounced way it opens you up to that sort of freedom and that belief that this stuff wants to exist and you just have to get out of the way and, and let it come through so that's why i think more than ever just listening to intuition you know just having that because when you have psychedelic journeys and when you meditate for years you start to discover the what i think of as the witness There's the part of you that is it's not your thoughts it's the part that witnesses your thoughts and that's obviously the basic principle of mindfulness um but then if there is a witness to your thoughts, what is that witness? And that's consciousness. And consciousness seems to have its own ideas about things and seems to be open to things coming through. Um so I kind of identify more with that than with the thoughts. And so the musical processes have become entirely governed by that. I've completely shut out the the problem solving egoy bit and just yeah, and that's how you end up with this sort of album. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Do you work in any other medium and do you explore any other art practices? Of
1: I don't country? actually, know. It all goes into music. Um, I did, I mean, I did art at school and, and did love it. But um, And I do get involved in the videos and the artwork side. Mm. I mean, not, I mean, Eileen did all the paintings in this, nothing to do with me, but the videos I tend to talk a lot with the directors about what the tracks are about. And then I sometimes I'll have an idea for a starting point for something, but yeah, nothing direct.
0: Yeah, yeah, because the, I mean, the visual side of your music is very important. You know. Yeah.
1: No, the videos over the years have been. Um, there's a, really a lot of good ones now, actually. And I think I'd love to one day. I'd love to animate the entirety of this album. That would be a kind of dream. Just need to find somebody who wants to pay for that. <laughs> it <sort of laughs> wouldn't be cheap, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I think um, you know the the videos for the tracks the Singularity. Some of them are just so cinematic and. Yeah, it's always been important to me mm. stuff.
0: It's absolutely fascinating to see how
1: you create this this world
0: because it is a kind of world that you've
1: created. Yeah, I record. think of it as a world and I think, you know, it feels like this, almost like a superpower to be able to create all these sounds and a world and then with the aid of a psychedelic medicine to actually enter that world. It's like you build your place and then you walk into it and it's all, you're able to feel and experience it. And that's why it was important to test it in those states as well. So like every month or so in the last three months of writing and recording of this, I would have a, a psychedelic ceremony and, and listen to it and see what it would do and see, you know, just make sure that it would work. And the first one, there were huge things that really jumped out as wrong, that you have to, experience, you almost had to experience it in that state to realize how wrong. But, um, equally the bits that were right really shone so it was clear what i needed more of and what i needed less of by entering it on on that deeper level
0: yeah that's really interesting and it's also interesting the word medicine mm. i think with the minute you use the word medicine things take on a different tone mm. you know because so much of of the discussion around the combination of mm. of psychedelics and Music or other kind of art practices, you know, you you say the word drugs and people have certain reaction to it. You know, interestingly, you you know, you mentioned having a beer, but just Mm. that one single beer, Mm. you know, you know and realise affects your mood, affects your Mm. stamina or whatever it is in, in
1: a particular kind of way. And you can use that or let be abused by that yeah absolutely i mean uh, the new michael pollen book which i'd recommend this is your mind on plants um he talks about three different psychoactives opium caffeine and mescaline and two of those are highly illegal and one we've decided is not only fine but the most the single most popular psychoactive in the world and it's completely he writes about how it's completely changed the course of history because before we had caffeine in the west we were just drinking booze because because water wasn't safe to drink. So yeah. they made they literally made beer, which presumably killed bacteria. But then when um, caffeine came along, hot drinks came along. So boiling people started boiling water, and then so instead of having low doses of alcohol through the day, they would have caffeine, and suddenly conversation got more sprightly, and everyone got more active and very heavily into the problem solving consciousness that we is now completely dominates our world. And we probably have all in this room had caffeine today. And that's like, that's a drug. Mm. This psychoactive drug that affects your behavior and your mood. It's just that it's one that happens to also increase productivity and it doesn't make you question your your life. But psychedelics tend to be disruptors of your normal patterns because they reset the brain. And that's why there's been such fear of them. And all the demonization of them is around fear because it's not around danger. You know, alcohol is more dangerous (laughs) than, than any of the psychedelics if you have the right education around them. They can be medicinal and I think there is, the reason I use that word is because there's obviously ways to use or abuse anything that can alter consciousness and I think um, we're finally entering an era where we can have adult conversations about these things. It's not just like, nope, just pretend they don't exist and make them incredibly illegal. That's not going to work forever if they're actually beneficial, particularly in a time when we need more help on the mental health side than we ever have you yeah. know, before so there is a difference between doing things carelessly and recreationally and doing things in a studied educated way and all the information is out there so i think we're entering into a, a, new, a new era in that respect
0: yeah yeah that's really interesting and it needs music yeah <laughs> <laughs> and you're the person to create it and you are creating it deep in the glowing heart is a good example of this and um, what more should we hear from it
1: so um i've soloed a different combination of sounds here um, in the middle So we have this this sound here, Um, again piano, with a lot of different processing on, pitch shifting, reverb, and then there's more of that same vocal that appears in Welcome, going between three notes, and then I got a cymbal from the drum kit that was in the studio downstairs and uh, did like some fast cymbal rolls on it to create like waves of energy that would follow that vocal. Again, just making things sound like they are living together, like they're part of each other. So every time a vocal comes in, a cymbal comes in behind it like that. And then... Um, in that main arpeggio. And then some of the sounds from previous track. So these these are things from the previous track. So it's one track. Yeah, um some of that bird song going on there so this is actually the loudest track on the album by quite a long way so if you cut into the loudest section here this is really supposed to be the bit that you know really gets you right in here hence the title and it could be particularly if you're um, in a psychedelic experience it's pretty intense it's supposed to be because you know this needs contrast it's not all supposed to be just, there's some very, very quiet bits, but there are also some loud bits. and This is kind of the core of it all, really, the album. For me, this is the sort of center point of the heart. And then just skipping forward a little bit to the ending, which I really like. The integration after a kind of deep dive section like that is equally important, so it turns into a very very long gentle ending, it's about three minute ending I think. So yeah, so when it comes out of this intensity we have a lot of the high frequency stuff dying away and the arpeggio you can hear is now slowed down. Let's solo that. Now it's like really gentle rippling instead of really fast like it was before. And all the high end sounds have now gone. You're just left with this on its own, which I think is quite, after all that activity and all that volume, is mm. actually really, really soothing.
0: It's an interesting challenge, isn't it? I mean, you're creating something that t- is meant to take people on a journey somewhere. Mm. So it's, it's got to evolve and change. And yet at the same time, you want it to
1: kind of stay the same as well. That's, well. Yeah, and that's what I love about drone music. I think of this, as, you know, primarily kind of drone inspired stuff. Gradual changes, but with a solid core that sort of holds you. I think that's sort of what works for me particularly in those kind of trance states as well. And um, that's a longstanding component of devotional music generally, or spiritual music. Um, So like the Indian harmoniums all have a drone function where, which just will create one note and everything is centered around that and plays around that and that holds throughout. And in Western pop music, you will often find that there's notes that hold throughout a song. It's just something that we seem to find really pleasing. Mm. So I kind of go really deep into that yeah pretty much on every track that i ever write yeah
0: yeah totally (laughs) and when
1: you think about the dance stuff yeah
0: um do you think of that in the same kind of ceremonial
1: they do yeah i think i don't actually think this is i don't think anyone will agree with me but i don't think it's actually that different from the other albums Mm. in that it's it's emotional intensity is the same if not greater and where it's taking people it's the same message essentially it's a sort of trying to translate transcendent experiences and they can come through dancing or they can come through lying down and going deep inside with your psyche so it's kind of it's the same thing viewed from a different angle that's how I how I see this stuff
0: yeah yeah do you think that in a way that you'll have the two running in parallel to each other yeah actually
1: yeah yeah, because um, since it became possible to start DJing again I've done a bit of that I've done maybe four or five DJ sets recently and really enjoyed playing Techno and stuff, and also weaving bits of the odd stem from this album in, and just I'll be doing more of that. Although there's no actual way of performing this stuff, as you can see by looking at these parts, (laughs) but there's ways of weaving it into other performances. So, Mm. yeah, I'm quite interested in doing that more.
0: Although you did do a one off performance in Austin, didn't you? It was actually
1: a playback, so it was. um, it was like what we called an immersive playback so everyone's lying in concentric circles on yoga mats and there's four huge PAs one in each corner and um, it's played back through that and then over the last track I did start joining in on the piano because there was a piano in the middle so people had the experience of shifting from the um, amplified electronic sound into just a wooden instrument in the middle which is really nice but yeah it hasn't been performed and I'm not at this point, it doesn't feel like something that's going to happen anytime soon because I want people to listen to it as it is and get familiar with it before I'd like dismantle it and rebuild it live. It's, mm. it's just not really... And there wouldn't be anything to watch in particular because everything's happening slowly and I just don't... Yeah, I think... um, What I am interested in is mixing in um spatial audio, various... There's various formats, but Dolby Atmos, things like that, and having like a multi-channel version which people can lie down and listen to so that's what i am hopefully be trying to arrange that for um next year and yeah. in various different places really interesting
0: i think it's going to be really interesting watching how you develop and evolve mm. these ideas you know as as technologies change but also you know circumstances change mm. situations change um because i think you'll be longing to explore
1: it in so many different ways well one thing i'm definitely gonna do with this track is make a well, the thing I try to do is make like a DJable version, mm. so something which does actually bring rhythm into it. So the idea would be to to maybe get this arpeggio that I was just playing. It would be quite easy to snap that into a grid. Um, I'd have to go back to the source sound and take the effects off and then reapply them, but you could get a rhythm out of that, and then you could get a kick drum under it. And I'm going to see if that works as something that I could then make into a DJable track, and then I would probably make a single of that you know to have something to support it into the next year as well
0: yeah yeah really interesting john it's been
1: so good to speak to you yeah likewise it's been really fun thank you so much good
0: thank you so much for coming we do we do have questions that we ask everybody who comes on take notes one is a
1: a technical question or a Mm. tech question Mm. do you have a favorite piece of tech um i mean it would have to be ableton this program that i'm using um for everything because it is it just completely opened up the way i write music um it's difficult i mean uh, the piano is always there. It's like the kind of backbone instrument but it's not it's just one of many others the moog one is also and the corg trinity i used to use a lot it's kind of fallen out of um, usage a bit now but yeah ableton is an extraordinary piece of software like that you can use to as deep or as shallow a level as you want depending on your mood But it just feels like anything is possible once you really get into it. Sonically, you can just create anything. Like, this album wouldn't exist with any other programme. Yeah. And I would say the same about the last one as well. Amazing. And the other question we always
0: ask people is about advice, whether you've been Mm -hmm. given advice or whether you've learned something that you would like to share with other people.
1: I've never been given that much advice. Um, I mean, I have obviously in terms of, like, managing the career and stuff – musically it's always just been intuition and following instinct, and knowing i think kind of your own taste trusting your own taste really and not trying to make something that you think will be popular i suppose it would be, sounds like really cliched advice to me but i do believe in that because i think whether people are aware of it or not they spot when you're being inauthentic in your music if i were to try and write a pop song or try and write a top line or something like that it would be I might be able to make something that sounded professional, but it wouldn't be, I don't think it would resonate. There Mm. are some people that can write that stuff amazingly, but wouldn't be able to do this. So I think there's like, find the skill set that you have deep ingrained in you if you're called to be a musician and then really honour that, I think, stick to that. Yeah.
0: Did you get any career advice? I mean, do do people say, you know what
1: you should do, John, because you're this way inclined, you should... No, I've never, no, I never got that. I um, I just started... You know, and it took me a good six, seven years before I could even make vaguely acceptable living from it. And you have to be prepared for that. And I imagine it might be even harder these days. I don't know how people would do it. But, you know, my first album came out like 20 20 years ago now. Wow. Pretty amazing how long. And I'm so grateful that um, people have supported me and allowed me to keep doing this. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is. It's, well, it's great, you know, but clearly you strike a chord with people. People connect to what you're doing.
1: Well, I mean, one of the other things that was incredibly... like, I, I had you know, various side careers as a producer and collaborator and film score composer as well, and I don't do so many of those things now, but some of those things I think were very important in the middle point like 10 years ago because I got more financial security which allowed me to go way deeper into the solo writing. So when I wrote Immunity, I was really able just to focus on that and turn down other work so I think, yeah, that's not really advice is it? You can't just advise someone to become financially secure <laughs> Yeah, but like it, it, I don't, so what I'm really saying is I'm grateful to those people that employed me around then like Coldplay and the and, uh, film directors I work with because I don't, I think it's too much to ask people to just have jobs and give everything to music, you can't really do both, you know, it's really important that yeah, this is why musicians should be supported really in what they're doing because you know, it becomes ultimately worthwhile financially as well It becomes a big industry so yeah in this country we don't do that really
0: mm. yeah because the long, yeah as you say I mean uh, over the long term mm. it becomes something that, absolutely that, that you yeah. wouldn't
1: necessarily guess 25 years ago when you were first yeah. playing piano and and well it took me so long to even find because I knew what I wanted to make in my head but to like, actually learn the skills to do it this album really is the first time I've thought I've actually made the thing that I dreamt of in my head when I was 16. You know, I would have loved to have heard this then.
0: Mm. Fascinating. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to hear more. And uh, I look forward to the further exploration mm. uh, that will take place. We should leave people with a tiny bit more music, another track from the album, possibly. Um, what would you, you know, after listening to um, Deep in the Glowing Heart, you know, what would be the next... next? Well,
1: You could play a bit of um, Arriving. Mm. That'd be nice, because it's really quiet and I I don't really want to go down the, sit around the fire route. Um, Yeah,
0: sure. And there is some voice on Arriving, isn't there? Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: In fact, that was interesting. I was, it's a good example of being open to what's around you. So that follows a very long, very cosmic, quite like spacey section. And um, I felt the need for something grounding to bring everyone back down to earth a bit. And um, normally I turn to the piano for that, but it's like, I didn't want this to be a piano album. There hadn't been any unprocessed piano until Sit so Around the Fire, the last track. And I found myself, while I was wiring up or getting, you know, patching in the mics for the piano, I just found myself humming along with it. And I was like, actually, that's more interesting. So I just picked it up, the piano mic, and hummed into it. And that's, that's what you'll hear now. Mm. You can hear kids. There's kids' voices and there's yeah. Dan's kids oh, right, in the background, excellent. yeah.
0: Playing in the wood. Yeah. Now, yeah, this is a perfect way to round things off. Thanks mm. again, John. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.